What's going on, everybody? I hope this finds you well. And for today's episode, uh, we bring in our brother Addison Hayes from DLF, the guy behind all the lovely tools and things that you see over at Dynasty League Football to, I guess, walk us through a thought process or a thought experiment that Adam and I have where we wanted to take a look at some of the mocks that have been floating around Twitter from a lot of the respectable folks within draft Twitter uh, in order to kind of, I guess, gauge what their fantasy value was going to be should any of these uh, draft transactions like come to pass. And uh, so using some of the guys that we're most interested in, folks that are from the early rounds of some of the uh, fantasy rookie mock drafts that have been going on, and uh, towards the middle, and also some of the late round guys that we've been seeing. We kind of wanted to see what folks thought, at least that are out there in real football draft Twitter, and then compare that to what we're thinking about in fantasy draft Twitter, and then kind of try and see if we can marry those two things together. And if we don't agree, let's talk about it. Let's see where the differences lie and kind of where we hope to see them, and if some of those things actually do come to pass, uh, what that happens to some of their players' value. So, we brought Addison in because he is the guy with the stats. I mean, he is uh, formerly uh, Mr. FF Statistics, but he is the guy that has most of that information handy. We want to make sure that folks are going over to Dynasty League Football to check out some of those tools and just to see where target share and historical references such as that are being brought up. That's where we value Addison's experience and his ability to kind of pull some of those things. So Adam, Addison, and I, we walk through our picks. We each had six each too early, too middle, and too late, and we start discussing I guess, what Matt Miller, uh, one of the respectable football analysts out there right now, and we walked through his latest mock draft and tried to see where his picks for some of our guys lied and where we felt that they should go, and if they do kind of fall into those places. So the first six guys that we review for the first half of uh, our show today, we went through uh, Jerry Judy to San Francisco, CeeDee Lamb to Denver. Jonathan Taylor to Pittsburgh, LaVishka Chenault to Jacksonville, Justin Jefferson to Philadelphia, and Denzel Mims to Green Bay. So we sat down and we had a conversation with those, looked at the team fits and where we hope to see them go. Hopefully you guys enjoy, and let's get it going. <laughs> and here are your authors, Chris Allen and a- a- Adam Wilde. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Dynasty Owners Manual Podcast. I'm your host today, Adam Wilde, joined with Chris Allen. And we've also got our buddy from the uh, video crew over at DLF. Addison's joining us today. What's up, Addison? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm uh, happy to be here. Glad you guys asked me to come on and uh, talk some rookies here. It's fun. Yeah, we've got an interesting show today. So basically what we did is we took the uh, early round perspective, uh, mid-round perspective, and uh, late round perspective from our rookie drafts. And we each picked two players that would apply to each of those. So we've both got two first-rounders. Both have, or all three have two first rounders, all three have two second rounders, and all three have two third rounders. So Matt Miller dropped his uh, latest mock draft today. So we're going to use that and we're basically going to take it as gospel and uh, pretend that was the NFL draft. We're going to talk about if we like the landing spot for the player. Uh, We'll talk about if we thought that they went a little too early, a little too late. And then we'll just kind of talk about their fantasy value with that team. A little roundtable discussion. Won't get too in depth on everything. Just kind of initial thoughts on how we feel about these players. So I'll kick it off just to get the format going. Um, Matt Miller has Jared Judy going to San Francisco, and he's actually the second wide receiver off the board right after Henry Ruggs. Uh, I I think that that's a great fit. We've been wanting a wide receiver to go to San Francisco, San Francisco for what probably three years now. 
and they just have refused to draft a wide receiver early thus far. So finally taking one in the first round, and especially the wide receiver that I think is the best in this class, I think Jared Judy would just light it up there. He'd immediately be the first option. Uh, Debo showed well last year. I think he'd be a nice 1B to Jared Judy. But right off the bat, I think Jared Judy is going to be the target hog there. He's a very refined route runner, perfect for Jimmy Garoppolo because a guy that gets separation is exactly what Jimmy Garoppolo needs. Um, so Jared Judy to San Francisco, would I don't believe it would hurt Debo's value. I think it would help Jimmy Garoppolo's value, and it would be a, a nice boost for Jared Judy. What do you guys think about Jared Judy to the 49ers? I mean, I guess my, my thought is, well, first off, all right. So that's rude. I mean, you just brought me. You didn't even introduce me. I mean, I did. You just, you just immediately like hopped over to Adam Addison, like which <laughs> I get. Like he's our guest and all, one. and that's and that's cool and everything. But you could at least been like, "How are you doing, Chris?" Didn't even bother to ask me. I'm doing fine. I mean, but thank you. I'm sh- I'm sure you're fine. It's rude. Um, <laughs> but either way, I think like the, uh, my thing is, and I'm, and, and maybe Addison like can pull this up. Cause he's like the, he's like our, our stats guy like here, but I'm just thinking like high level, uh, or just my, my thought process here is that I'm struggling to think of a wide receiver on like on San Francisco's team that had a significant enough target share in order to like really consider them a wide receiver one. And one doesn't really come to mind. So like even if so let's say they spend like a significant draft capital at the wide receiver position, I mean, do we expect him to get like twenty five percent like target share like in that offense? I, I don't know. Like, and Addison, correct me if I'm wrong, but did anybody really even get to that like over the full season? Because we saw like Debo like Debo do his thing. That's great. Emmanuel Sanders like flashed like here and there for a little bit, but even the playoffs, Emmanuel Sanders like basically disappeared. Uh, we saw Kendrick Bourne pop uh, for for uh, all the hot, important plays. Yeah, for all the important plays, like sure, Dante Pettis like was basically thrown into the doghouse. So really, it was Raheem Mostert and uh, you know and the running backs. So even if they do invest like significant draft capital in it, like what can we reliably expect in like in that offense? Like, can we really expect him to ascend to a twenty to twenty five percent market share, or does he just become? a part of that system where it's just uh, you have to like where the value really just intersects at Jimmy Garoppolo. And I, and I don't know. And that's where I question them taking a wide receiver like of that stature. I would much rather them wait and take a, a guy later on because he just becomes a part of that system. Like I'd rather invest in hell. I'd rather take a, a, a shot at a guy like Jalen Hurd because it's just like, I don't want to invest a significant draft capital in my rookie drafts in a player of that stature because I don't know who I can trust on a week-to-week basis in San Francisco. I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm with you on the whole San Francisco thing. So I pulled up their target share from last year, and George Kittle was actually the only receiver that had over 100 targets, and he he barely had that. He had 107. After that, Debo had 81. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders had 53 over the course of the second half of the year. Uh, and then born at 44, and then, yeah, it was basically a whole bunch of other running backs were all down there. So um, I, I really struggle with, you know, San Francisco as this, like, ideal landing spot for a wide receiver, you know, and, and I guess it's one of the better ones, uh, especially when you consider the fact that Houston doesn't have a first-round pick. Um, Philadelphia's pick is kind of later, so unless, you know, one of these top guys falls to them, 
then, you know, that's really kind of out of the question for one of the top guys, at least. Um, so, I mean, I, I understand that whole thing. But, you know, with, with Jimmy Garoppolo only attempting 476 attempts last year, uh, just barely under 4,000 yards, it's not a landing spot that, you know, I would I would really want to invest, like, uh, a high-end rookie pick in, like a, a top six pick in if Judy ends up going there. Um, and, and I would say the same thing for Lamb as well, too, if Lamb ended up going there, too. You know, it's it's a team that I, I agree with you a lot, Chris, that he's just going to become part of the system there. And I don't see him becoming a Julio Jones in the Niners offense. Like, I think a lot of people might expect uh, a Kyle Shanahan true wide receiver one to become. Uh, I, I see him more as just a guy in this offense, especially with Kittle there, with Debo Samuel there. You know, he, he might get 100 targets, uh, but, you know, I, I just don't feel like that's enough to really invest into a rookie wide receiver with, like, a top five pick, like Judy should be. I think draft capital alone is going to keep him up there in that top six or seven in Superflex just based on being the 13th overall selection. And I'd also like to mention, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders didn't come there until the last four games, but he popped immediately – or last uh, five or six games, but he popped immediately – and uh, honestly, Debo didn't start getting fed until he stopped sucking. I mean, that's putting it bluntly, but uh, for a rookie receiver, it takes a while to come around. And when Debo came around, I mean, he was their feature player in this in the playoffs. Um, out of the backfield, out of the slot, out wide, Debo was everywhere, just getting the ball. That was their um, that was their early game plan was just get Debo the rock. So. I think Jared Judy is much more refined than Debo Samuel, but Debo Samuel is very good in his own right. Um, he's a bully out there. So let's go ahead with you, Addison. This is going to be your first first-round player. Go ahead and introduce him. Where did Matt Miller mock him, and how do you feel about it? Yeah, so my player is actually the other wide receiver, C.D. Lamb. Uh, Matt Miller had him going to the Denver Broncos at pick 15. It's a wide receiver three off the board here. Um, and, you know, as far as landing spots go, I guess – Again, this is kind of another one where I'm not really sure if I so much like the landing spot for a top-end wide receiver. You know, Denver already has Cortland Sutton as their their main target um, monster, and then also, you know, Noah Fant, up-and-coming tight end. But, you know, when I look at the, the target share for uh, Denver from last year, you know, Emmanuel Sanders had 44 over the first half of the year. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton had 52, so... You know, if this were to happen and Lamb were to go here, I would expect Hamilton to take, um, uh, you know, a seat back on the team. The the uh, running backs, Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay, actually combined for 98 targets. I don't know how much that's going to affect with Melvin Gordon now there uh, and Lindsay probably playing more of a cop role. Uh, but you know, there there are targets there to be had for you know C.D. Lamb to to go there. And if Drew Locke is you know uh, going to be the quarterback that I think. Some people expect him to be taking a really good step forward. You know, they didn't really pass a whole lot as a team last year. Flacco had 262, and then Drew Locke had 156, and Brandon Allen had 84. Um, so that that was it right there between those three. And if they throw maybe a little bit more, and, uh, you know, the most of the targets are funneled to Sutton and Lamb and then Fant, I think that could be a, a better landing spot. And I would actually prefer that landing spot to – San Francisco personally and then Lamb's already my wide receiver one in this class so um, overall it wouldn't really do much for me in terms of 
you know, moving him up or down in my rookie rankings or where I would take him at rookie drafts. It would, it's just, uh, you know, a, a good landing spot that I think he can grow in with a, an already young and developing team. So I don't know if that's how you guys feel about it, but that's at least where I'm at. I think from a team building perspective, that makes the most sense because they sunk. I mean, so they just sunk a second round draft pick in Cortland Sutton last season, right? Was he a second rounder? I thought. Um, either way, I mean, it was fairly significant for him to get for them to get Sutton. So that means they're going to turn around and now invest like another high end draft pick in a wide receiver after they just had. I mean, Drew Locke had what five starts last season. So, I mean, unless they're 100% confident in in Drew Locke as a passer, I mean, my thought would be that they would invest more in their offensive line. They would try and replace pieces on the defense. I mean, they just lost Chris Harris. Um, I mean, I, I would think that their team needs would be somewhere, I guess, elsewhere, like either within the offense or on the defense versus them investing in a wide receiver, unless they're just over the moon with Locke and they think that he is on par with the other quarterbacks that are in their division. And considering one just won the Super Bowl, I don't think that's the case. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, Sutton's uh, round two pick eight two years ago. Um, I don't know necessarily that they should invest in C.D. Lamb that early. I mean, he's a phenomenal player, but they have plenty of needs. Um, I, I believe they need quarterback, right? I mean, Chris Harris is gone, uh, leaving. Um, so that's got to be a need right there. And uh, I I just think he's CD's going to do a lot of what Cortland Sutton's already going to do for you. Um, I think that they're similar and that they can get up there and, and make the physical contested catches. That's what I like most about CD Lamb. And I don't necessarily know that you're getting a big one-two punch. I, I, I think you're kind of just being redundant at that point. Uh, I would see them as a Henry Ruggs landing spot more so personally and by the time the draft comes around, it, it might sort itself out that way. I mean, CD far and away should be drafted um, ahead of Henry Ruggs. Uh, and I, I could see CD Lamb going to someone like the Jets maybe, and then Ruggs make it back to uh, to the Broncos. That makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, we're going to get to your first first round pick, Chris. Who do you got? No, where did they go? Uh, so this one I, I thought was also kind of odd. So at pick 49, uh, he's got the Steelers taking running back Jonathan Taylor. And I know we were talking about this before we uh, before we started, I guess, officially started the show. Uh, but we've got we got Addison here, who is our, our resident Steelers fan. And I mean, I looked at this like the second I saw it, I just did like the the white man blinking gif because it didn't make any sense to me because, okay, I I get it. Like I saw I saw the I saw the same Roto World blurb that most other folks saw about they're going to let Connor walk. Cool. Benny Snell, complete misfire of a pick. Fine. Jalen Samuels is like a hybrid running back. Okay, fine. But you've got those three guys on the roster now. You have a quarterback that's probably going to retire here shortly if he's not going to now. Uh, and you have a wide receiver that they're already to also talking about, I mean, moving on from here shortly. The problem, your main problem is not in your backfield. And why would you <laughs> marry yourself to a rookie running back of JT's stature, like where you're going to have to invest? 
I mean, you're, I mean, at this point, he has him at pick 49, so it's a day two pick, but still, why would you invest that much into a rookie running back when you have, I mean, I mean, I mean, absolute glaring issues like on your offense, not your backfield, but then also on their defense as well. And so I, I, me personally, I can't get behind that pick. I mean, as a ex semi, maybe if they take Joe Burrow, I might be a Cincinnati fan again. That'd be hilarious to me. But I mean, otherwise, like I can't, I can't get behind that pick. Like from a team building perspective, it makes no sense. And I'm sure Addison agrees. Yeah. So. I've been anti-Steelers drafting a running back in this draft uh, ever since everybody was talking about it back when, like, Rooney at the end of last year was like, we need to get back to Pittsburgh Steelers running the football. We can't have this whole, like, committee thing. Uh, James Conner only played, like, half the season last year. And, you know, I, I, I get that part, but, like, investing a pick in a rookie running back this year just to me does not make sense. We don't have a first round pick. We have other holes, like you said, like offensive line. Uh, Ramon Foster just retired. So, you know, we, we need help on the offensive line. Oh, that's I right. Because that first help. round pick uh, went to Minka, right? Because that went for Minka? Minka? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we don't have a first. That's our first pick is, uh, is 49 overall in the second round. And uh, so, you know, I think we need help defensively. With our, our linebacking core, I know we have T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree. We just franchise tagged, but you know, I, after that, I don't I don't think it makes sense to pay Bud Dupree. Uh, so I think we need help there. I think we need more help on the inside linebacking core. I think our cornerbacks can need help as well too. You look at our depth chart; we only have like three. Um, so you know, I just feel like there's so many other issues that I would like to address. And like you said, you know, if, if this is Ben Roethlisberger's final year or next year's his final year or whatever too. You know, like I understand making a push for a Super Bowl with, you know, the window that you have from Ben Roethlisberger, but I don't think it comes on the back of drafting a rookie running back because I do still believe that James Conner has the ability to be that workhorse back. He just needs to stay healthy. And if not, Benny Snell and Jalen Samuels, I think, are both perfectly fine. In, in service of you know uh, an injured James Conner, and so if you can fix the holes elsewhere, you know with with the top five defense that we have now, you know with Minka Fitzpatrick that we saw at the end of the season last year, and you know if you can solidify that and then solidify the offense as well too with the offensive line, give Ben time to throw, throw to Juju, throw to Deontay Johnson. I would rather prefer them to take a wide receiver in in the second round. Like a guy, you know, like a, you know, if Denzel Mims happens to be there or, you know, Michael Pittman or somebody like that, like I would much rather see that than Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, I would, if I were to have the Steelers pick any running back at 49, it would definitely be Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sure. I, I don't have problem with the player. Like I would much rather have John, if they're going to take a running back, please take Jonathan Taylor in the second round if he's there than a Zach Moss in like the third or fourth round. That's yeah, much sure. more of the opportunity cost that I'd be willing to do right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just I just don't get it. But for Jonathan Taylor, for fantasy purposes, I've gone on this really long tangent as a Steelers fan about all this stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> for Jonathan Taylor, that second round capital, I think they're going to have to invest in him. And over a long period of time, I know like, you know, Adam, we were talking about it with Jonathan Taylor. It'd be really nice in Tennessee, mm-hmm. but... Um, you know, he would have to wait a year, sure, presumably because of 
you know, uh, franchise tagging Derrick Henry. So, Mm -hmm. but after that, you know, it's, it's sky's the limit for Jonathan Taylor in Tennessee. And I see the same thing in Pittsburgh. You know, if, if he were to kind of do some sort of a a workload share, even if it's like 70, 30, Jonathan Taylor to James Conner or something Mm -hmm. like that, um, then, you know, Conner walks next year. And then now it's all Jonathan Taylor and it's all Steelers offense, everything like that. So I'm a hundred percent in on fantasy, uh, for Jonathan Taylor on the Steelers, if this were to happen. But as a Steelers fan, I pray that it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, we could see something like Miles Sanders. I mean, we we got to remember that James Conner's not a slouch when he's on the field. I mean, the guy's been productive. We've seen him be productive before. He didn't have a healthy season last year. But my point is he's going to demand touches um, mm-hmm. because if he gets one touch, he's going to look productive and they're going to continue to give him touches. So I think it'd be more like a Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard thing where Jordan Howard shouldn't have been seeing the field, but he was. So uh, it took a, a what I think is an overblown injury to to get Miles Sanders some opportunity. Um, we're going to move on to the second round guy here. And uh, same same deal. The way this works is uh, it's a second round ADP player where they landed in Matt Miller's mock and and so forth. So my first second round player is going to be LaVisca Chenault. And uh, this guy is someone I'm really excited about because of his yards after catch potential. Um, he's like a running back after he catches the ball. He works really well on those underneath routes. He's got quality size. Uh, he could work on his route running a little bit, but I think he's just going to be the type of player that we really want to get the ball into his hands underneath and especially um, some somewhere that's got a high volume offense. Um one thing that I'd like to mention, he had a few injuries uh, recently, but in 2018, he played nine healthy games and he had over a thousand yards, 86 receiving yards, uh, averaged 11 yards a catch. Uh, so he, he's been productive at the college level. If we go over here to Matt Miller's mock, he has him going to the Jaguars uh, at pick 73. First thing I like to mention, I think this is a little late for Chanel. I think he's going to go a little bit earlier than this. I think a lot of teams are going to be infatuated with what they can do with him. Like I mentioned underneath those those types of receivers that can create separation and get physical underneath are um, heavily coveted in the NFL. And also to the Jaguars, I mean, it just seems like we keep getting these Jaguars receivers and, and it's just, we finally got DJ Chark to hit, but he always, it just always feels like there's just part of a huge committee of players. We had Marquise Lee, Keelan Cole popped. Um, now we have, now we would have LaVishka Chanel. I just don't know that if they're going to go for a wide receiver as early as they would have to on Chanel, I feel like they should just go higher um, maybe with their first round pick, but uh, nonetheless, for fantasy purposes, it would be good, uh, not great. And we're also talking about Gardner Minshew for whatever that's worth. So I, I wish that he would go somewhere like the Colts. Uh, that would be my desired landing spot. But for the purpose of the exercise, I think that he would probably be right around that early second round if he were drafted to the Jaguars. What do you think about LaVisca Chanel Addison? Uh, he's, he's a player that I think he has a wide range of outcomes. And I think the second round ADP, uh, is going to be, you know, pretty true for him, especially if he goes in, you know, round three, uh, and, and especially if he goes to Jacksonville, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm not sure where he would exactly fit in Jacksonville. Cause we have DJ Chark and then we'd have LaVisca and then we have DD Westbrook presumably taking the slot role as well. Sure. Too. Um, and, and DD was a guy who has had a hundred 
plus targets each of the past two seasons. So, um, you know, it, it's it's an interesting pick to to have LaVisca go there to Jacksonville and with a young uh, quarterback. I don't know what they're going to do with Gardner if he ends up becoming their franchise quarterback. You know, he had he had the stats at least last year uh, to, to back up him being the starting quarterback this year. And if that continues, I don't really see why they would move on from him. So assuming that that continues and he's the quarterback for the next, we'll say, three years, partnering uh, Minshew and LaVisca and DJ Chark and D, it's a young core, but it's uh, it's not something that, you know, I'm really truly excited about. And I think a second round ADP, it doesn't, that landing spot doesn't do much for me uh, to, to move him up or down again, because I think, you know, his already wide range of outcomes is, is going to just remain there in Jacksonville. And, um, a, you know, he, he could have a really nice high ceiling. He could overtake D.D. Westbrook. He could overtake D.J. Chark. Or he could be, like, a slightly better Keelan Cole who, like, mm-hmm. pops every now and then, mm-hmm. and he's just kind of there. You know, so, you know, in, in the second round, especially if we're talking in, like, a super flex and, like, a, a mid to late second round pick, then, you know, I think that's worth it there, given his talent. Um, but, you know, it's it's just, again, wide range of outcomes. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, again, I'm just thinking about like where that offense is. Like, it's very similar to what we were talking about with uh, with Drew Locke, and if they're going to wind up sinking another pick into a wide receiver, where if you already have like most of your like offensive core established, I don't think that wide receiver really presents itself as an area of need for them. Again, unless you feel that they have most of their problems solved, and that's a position of need for them. I mean, if they really think that none of their other issues on defense are an issue, which is definitely a a case for them, then okay, then go ahead and build around that. If they don't think that they need to even try and address the running back position, if they're going to decide to bring back Leonard Fournette on a deal, because how many, what, he has, what, one more year on his rookie deal before they have to talk extension? So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's there's other stuff that I think that they need to they need to think about, but I guess looking at his uh looking at his profile and how he could be used, I mean, yeah, I guess it's possible they could fit him into that offense. I mean, he could wind up like Addison said, like take over uh the role like what we had hoped that Didi would like turn into. And I guess because he's what a bit bigger than uh, than Didi, like sizably bigger than uh, than Didi. I mean, he could be that uh, he could be that player like towards the interior of the field and maybe play like that big slot role if they wanted him to. Uh, but I don't know if that's really like a f- like fully accessing like his talent, like Chenault's talent. So I don't think that it really fits. Like for me, uh, I think that. Yeah, I think the Colts, I think that'd be like a heck of a good fit like right there, but we need to see what they're going to be doing with the quarterback position like after Rivers is gone. But right now, I just can't see them being able to use use a guy like Chenault like to I guess to access like everything that we think that he can do. At least what he showed at the collegiate level. Sure, and we're going to get into um we'll start with you again Addison. We're going to get into your next second round player. Um, where did Matt Miller draft him, and what do you like or dislike about the pick? Yeah, so my my player here is uh, actually a guy who you're going to probably have to take in the back half of the first um, in one quarterback leagues. He might slip to you know the early second in super flex leagues because of the quarterbacks being taken above him. But um, Matt Miller has Justin Jefferson going pick 21 overall to the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. And 
this is the kind of pick that is going to potentially, if, if, if this happens and, you know, the rest of the draft happens as well too, CD goes to Denver and um, Judy goes to San Fran, this could be a conversation that a lot of people have about taking Justin Jefferson as the wide receiver one over, like overall in, um, in rookie drafts is the first wide receiver off the board. And that's primarily because of the fact that e- the, the Philadelphia Eagles have such a massive hole at the wide receiver spot. Yes, they have Alshon and they have Ertz and Goddard and they have Miles Sanders coming out of the backfield. But after that, it's like nothing. And Justin Jefferson can come in as this prototypical wide receiver one and start opposite of Alshon Jeffrey in 2020. And then actually in 2021, the Eagles can cut Alshon for almost $8 million in savings. And that could be a, a huge boost to Justin Jefferson's stock when you pair him with Carson Wentz, who's a phenomenal quarterback. And, you know, Jefferson already, all, everything that you want to, like, maybe knock him for, you know, it was Joe Burrow last year. That's why he was so good, blah, blah, blah. But he commanded a large portion of LSU's targets and receptions and receiving yards with Joe Burrow in both 2018 when Burrow was not Joe Burrow and 2019 when Burrow was Joe Burrow and Jefferson was starting opposite of Jamar Chase, who's also probably going to be the wide receiver one in a draft class in yeah. I think it's next season. Yeah. 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 So so he'll be probably talked about in as the wide receiver one next year. So Jefferson is is extremely good and extremely talented. He's my wide receiver three right now in this class. And if he goes to Philadelphia, I am all in on this pick right now. And it, it just be, you know, sky's the limit for him. I think and we could see a wide receiver one in fantasy, I think, within the first two years. Yep, I think that's the one that I think I think it's probably the first one we've come across so far in our conversations that I agree with the most. Like for from a mock perspective, from a team fit perspective, and then also for a fantasy perspective, like that that draft pick, I think that hits that that checks all the boxes. Like for me, and yeah, I think I'll, I agree definitely with with Addison. I mean, looking at like where the team is at now, I mean with. With Alshon's contract, sure, he's coming back. That's fine. But it was Nelson Aguilar behind him who's gone. Uh, Greg Ward who stepped in. But we can look at his draft capital and see like how much the team really favors him. So that's, I mean, that's, again, a misfire. Or we shouldn't expect to see much of him if they wind up investing in a guy like Justin Jefferson. You have the aged Deshaun Jackson, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I mean, Mac Hollins, uh I mean, these are wide receivers that you can instantly take whatever their target share was and then shift most of that to Justin Jefferson, if not all of that. And if that's the case, then, yeah, he would be that one of those guys that instantly vaults like towards the top, like from fit, from how he played in college, uh, the contested catchability. I mean, that he is I mean, and the way that uh, LSU's offense ran. I mean, the way that Joe, the aggressiveness shown by Joe Burrow last year is very similar, I mean, to how Carson Wentz plays. I mean, that stylistically as a passer, like those two, like it, it'd almost be almost a, a, a seamless transition from college to the pros. Like if he goes from Joe Burrow to Carson Wentz. So I think that'd be a beautiful transition for him. So, yeah, from a fantasy perspective, from a team fit perspective, I mean, that's that's where I would love to see him fall. Yeah, this is the one right here. If you had a player prop for Justin Jefferson to the Eagles, you might as well put all your money on it. I don't know if anybody's 
even bothered mocking him anywhere else. That's pretty much where he's going. He's pretty much the NFL wide receiver four uh, for everybody. Um, our wide receiver three. I mean, we'll see where Rager goes, but most most people have him at wide receiver three or four in fantasy as well. Um, so it just makes the most sense. I, I don't know why they would pick anybody else. It's such a glaring need, such an important position to draft early. And um, I, I agree. I mean, there's not much more to say besides what you guys said. He's going to walk right in the door, and it's just going to be another day for work for Justin Jefferson if he gets taken 21 for the Eagles. Um, you you want to hit us with your guy, Chris? Sure. Uh, the guy that I've got coming up uh, is uh, Denzel Mims. And he's been a guy that I think if you had asked me the same question about like two, three months ago, I wouldn't have been as excited uh, about like where I would want to take him like in rookie drafts because like most of his like collegiate production and how he produced like it didn't didn't pop as some of those as much as those other guys that we've discussed so far but I think after uh, especially after the combine I think I've, I've I've tried to move him up like as much as possible or at least consider him like earlier and earlier and earlier in drafts and but again this is another one that I'm not all that well sold on because Miller has him going at. 30th overall uh, to the Green Bay Packers. I don't get Mm -hmm. that. I mean, I I guess I understand, like, the team needs because behind Tay, I mean, it's Lazard. It's uh, what? No, because Geronimo Allison is gone. So it's ESB and uh, probably Jamon Moore. Yeah, Jamon Moore. uh, And that's about it. But the, the ghost of Jimmy Graham. I mean, so there's there's not a ton, I mean, in terms of like pass catching ability for him to go to. So I understand that the team should be in the market for a wide receiver. And but, correction, Jamon Moore's gone. Sorry, Chris. Oh, he is also gone? I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Cleveland Browns, it looks like. Oh, well, that's odd. But all right. Wouldn't but, have um, mattered, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, either way, um, it just seems odd to me, the team's process that after free agency – when you had like multiple already established veterans that are considered field stretchers, because I mean, if you look at, I mean, Mims, what six three, uh, I mean, he ran what four 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 three seven, like something in there. So like, I mean, faster, bigger, faster guy. But instead, so instead of investing in any of the free agents that are faster guys that can play on the outside. They're instead going to invest significant draft capital in a rookie not established with your aging veteran quarterback. That process to me doesn't make sense. Like Good instead recall, of, actually, that was a six three four point three eight. Okay, I mean, but still, I mean that to me that process doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't they have tried to pay like a guy like Brashad Perryman? Why not try and pay a guy like Robbie Anderson? And keep them on a cheaper short-term deal than investing now your 30th overall pick in a non-established rookie. When we've seen what happens with Aaron Rodgers and how he doesn't, if like if if their relationship doesn't, if he doesn't vibe with them, that's just it's just not going to work. So again, from from a team-building perspective, if you have a quarterback in the back half of their you know back half of their career. Why not try and surround him with better with wide receivers that he can at least he's seen their work he can trust them he can get on the same page with them why surround him with why why surround him with rookies that he needs to coach that he needs to teach 
if you're trying to win now with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, I don't know if investing in a guy like Mims would be the right way to do it. I mean, if anything, I would want to see Mims in a place like uh, in a place like Houston. Mm-hmm. I mean, put him like pair him with Fuller, pair him with Watson, and like and he walks immediately walks into a larger target share. I think for for me that that for me would be the ideal landing spot. I mean, putting a rookie on uh, like in front of Aaron Rodgers at this point, I I don't I don't get it. They could potentially get Mims at forty. Um, that's actually not out of the realm. Uh, what do you think, Addison? I mean, I, I could see again. This is wide range of outcomes for him, as I thought of the same for for Lavisca and. Mm-hmm. Mims has gotten all this post combine hype um, that it's you know it's crazy to see him being ranked inside like the top five wide receivers now. When I mean, me personally, I don't watch college football, but still following all these people who follow college football, I've never heard his name prior to the combine. And uh, you know, he has he has good numbers analytically. Um, you know, all, all of the dominator ratings and the the market shares, he has all that stuff. Um, and, and he is coming into the NFL after four seasons in college. So, I mean, there's that. So I don't know if that's a, a positive. It's generally reflected as a negative on wide receivers. But, you know, I could see him coming in and just being another Geronimo Allison, being another MVS, just another, you know, number two in that system who, you know, flashes, never really does anything, doesn't have that connection with Aaron Rodgers. You know, like you said, Chris, it's kind of scary. But you know, there is that upside that Rodgers and him connect. And I think that, you know, the wide receiver two spot has been something that Aaron Rodgers has been missing for the past two years. You know, especially for fantasy purposes, I pulled up Aaron Rodgers' uh, quarterback history from uh, one of the DLF tools. And, you know, 2019 and 2018, his wide receiver two was outside the top 60 wide receivers. Prior to that, 2017, his wide receiver two was finished as the wide receiver 13. 2016 wide receiver six, 2015 wide receiver 26, 2014 wide receiver six again, 2013 wide receiver 24, 2012 wide receiver 17, 2011 wide receiver 11, had a, a off year in 2010 with wide receiver 46, and then 2009 and 2018 both were the wide receiver 19. So there is upside there, and I don't know if it's because Rodgers is really falling off a cliff that we've been seeing him for the past two years, or if he really has been missing that wide receiver two production that he had when he had Jordy and Devante or uh, Jordy and Randall Cobb, you know, that, that whole dynamic. And if Mims comes in and fills that spot for Aaron Rodgers, that could be really good for fantasy purposes and justify Mims's, you know, top five ADP mid second round, take him over LaVisca, take him over, you know, some of these other guys um, in, in the second round. So it, It'll be interesting to see if this actually happens, and then that's it's going to be a lot of, you know, is he going to be this or is he going to be that? But um, he ha- the upside will be there for sure. Well, we forgot to mention, unless I missed it, Chris, uh, did you mench- mention Devin Funches? Oh, no, I didn't mention him. So not that it necessarily <laughs> matters uh, that you didn't mention Devin Funches, except for the fact that Alan Lazard's ascending, in my opinion, and Devin Funches is – whatever at wide receiver three I, I just don't think it's a glaring need I mean that seems like a luxury pick to me that they just don't necessarily need to be taking and if I recall correctly they just lost a huge player in Blake Martinez 
So I would think that would be the biggest hole because he was the quarterback of their defense and uh, a very important player that I'm surprised that they let walk. So uh, I don't necessarily believe that they should be taking a wide receiver, especially when they got active in free agency, if you want to call going after Devin Funch is active. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's as good a wide wide receiver three as a lot of teams have. So to me, I don't know that Mims necessarily needs to go there, but I do think he would just absolutely step on Alan Lazar's value and – Funches wouldn't have to really participate either way. So yeah, it, it wouldn't be hurtful. I mean, he's not going to uh, move up or down in, in rookie drafts because of that. I think he's a, a pretty decent value right now, actually, in the second. All right, and that'll wrap it up for the first part. I didn't want this first half to be too long. I think we were we wound up going for about a little over an hour and a half in total for the entire mock draft to get through all of our picks. So I figured about here would be a good place to cut it, getting through about six picks. You guys can see the process for which we're evaluating some of the picks and kind of what our thoughts are in terms of resulting target share, where we'd like to see those guys go and what their value would be within rookie drafts should some of these come to pass. So we'll be back with part two. Got another six picks like working our uh, working its way towards you. So I appreciate Addison for stopping by again. Hope this finds everyone well, safe and healthy. We'll get through this soon. Good days are coming. Uh, y'all be safe. We'll talk soon. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Dynasty. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Dynasty Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. Owner's Manual.